Welcome back to Podcast 29 of 2022. I'm your host, Kiev O'Neill. Follow me on Twitter at OBKiev. Follow us at the Ozbreakers. Follow us on social media slash the Ozbreakers. This episode is being brought to you by mybookie.ag. For a 50% sign-up bonus, please visit mybookie. Use the promo code the odds breakers terms conditions and location apply if you'd like to help us out with our cost sponsor the website the podcast we'd love to help you out please visit the oddsbreakers.com click shop and become a member pick any of our winning handicappers to get their premium plays before the line moves you can also check us out on patreon.com and if nothing else please visit the oddsbreakers.com and become a free picks newsletter subscriber the nfl never dies does it there's so much information coming out every single day on contracts being signed, trades being made, potential draft picks, and that's what we're going to talk about in this show today because we have two fantastic guests to talk some NFL draft with for your sports betting pleasures. First, Mr. Andy Molitor is going to come on from the Deep Dive Podcast and Betsperts.com. And then we have Matt Landis from the Props and Hops Podcast, as well as the BetUS NFL Show, to discuss all these potential plays for the 2022 NFL Draft, which is only about seven or eight days away, by the way. So <laughs> we're coming, we're rounding the corner here in the NFL Draft and almost there. I'm actually working on a mock draft myself. I'm hoping that I could release it later this week, possibly early next week. There might be a 2.0 if some changes actually happens. But um, I myself likes to I, I like to do a first round mock. If you if you're new to this podcast or new to following me, um, been doing it for a few years. I like to see what teams should do. I talk about what they should do at their spot, and then I talk about what I think they will do in my mock draft and you know i'm not exactly a draft analyst or somebody that has a bunch of media ties like a mel kuiper or a mike florio michael lombardi but what i do have is a lot of knowledge in the sports betting market so what helps me is understanding what these gms have done in the past and just what I'm hearing out there from the beat writers as well as some of the draft analysts that you see on ESPN, CBS, and some other smaller sites that I like to follow as well. And I kind of compile that information together and uh, come out with my own ideas and see if it relates to the NFL. We've had a lot of success betting the NFL draft. The last three years have been very profitable. So looking to make it another profitable year here in 2022. And if nothing else, the NFL draft at least gets me prepared a little bit for the start of the NFL season because I'm actually researching what happened with these teams. I'm kind of finding out what they did during free agency already. Maybe can get a beat on some season win totals uh, after the draft if I can find some value. So the research has already started for the 2022 NFL season, and that's what I'm going to continue on doing throughout the early, late spring here and throughout the early summer. Going to have to also find some time to do college football as well. But with just baseball here and some UFC on the weekends, um, I do have more time now to do a lot of that research. 
At the end of the show, I am going to talk a little UFC. I had a really bad weekend in the UFC, my worst in probably six months. I only went one in five last weekend in the UFC, so I was a little disappointed about that. I uh, had some line value as well, but that's just kind of how it goes. Sometimes uh, the fighters that you thought were going to win and you thought were going to perform end up just crapping out on you, but... Um, still love the UFC, still my best sport, and I'm still going to be breaking it down every single weekend. Well, at least the weekends that we have events on uh, for the rest of the spring and the summer into football season as well. So if you're a UFC fan, stick around to the end of this podcast. But not just the UFC, we have every sport really covered for you here at the Oddsbreakers. I mean, if you're not following Chris Farley by now, you're probably living under a rock for the NBA, and Chris is also doing baseball with Nick Hub, Sean Kanaki, myself, a few other handicappers, and we also have Patrick Gates killing it in the NHL playoffs right here as well, and let's also not forget he does horse racing, which is coming up very soon, and let's not forget about golf, and Patrick has been on a tear. Also, Michael Fordham, been here six to eight months, is throwing out a ton of great plays and information here at the Ozbreakers, we have something for you every single day. Feel free to check us out mid-morning. We usually have something up for you, usually pertaining to the major sports that's going on right now. All right, my friends, now it's time to talk a little NFL draft with our first guest from BetSports.com, Mr. Andy Molitor. Now I'm very pleased to welcome back a man that's been podcasting for a very long time. You know him as the co-host of the Deep Dive Podcast and Brown Bag Bets. Really happy to bring back Mr. Andy Molitor from BetSpurts.com. You can follow Andy on Twitter at AndyMSFW. Andy, how is the year of our Lord 2022 treating you so far? It's it's pretty fun. It's been a fun year. Like I hadn't, no one's... No one's asked me that. Like the last few times I've done stuff, I'm like, oh, how was the Masters? How was March Madness? No one's ever posed that. Like, how's it been the whole year? It was a good playoffs. Like the NFL playoffs were good. The March Madness, the end of the college basketball season was fun. It has been a good year, sports betting and otherwise. And we've got, I mean, the NFL's a long ways away, but man, the draft is right now. Like, what are we? <laughs> we're sitting here, two p.m. Central on a on a Tuesday and. I suppose it's like 48 plus, five, you know, like 50 some hours away from watching the, the first night of the draft. I like how they split it up, too. It used to be you know, way different if you're old like us and you remember when the draft was not a big event for TV. Like they've made the first round an event. And yeah. I, I love that. It's one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite nights of the year. I know it is. You know, even if you have a team that you root for that doesn't have a first pick, it's just so exciting to see where yeah, Rams these fans. guys are going to land. Yeah, well, Bears fans. <laughs> right oh, Bears right, fans. right yeah, here, Bears. us poor souls. You know, do we ever have a first round? Not not too often, but, uh, you know, it's you're, you're a fan of college football. You want to see where some of these players go. You want to see how the division turns out. There's just all these kind of reasons for it. And now, well, actually, over the past few, three, four years, uh, sports betting, it's been a lot funner. And uh, there's just more and more props coming up every single year about it. And, uh, you know, if you get ahead of the game a little bit, you can get some value, possibly you can get a little bit of both sides. You know, it's fun. Oh, yeah. it, it's funny, Andy, me and you have to kind of go through all the information with a fine tooth comb because there's a lot of fakes that uh, 
teams put out and a lot of misinformation out there, isn't there? Yeah, and you see stuff, and then you'll you'll see stuff moving in these markets, and you won't you won't know why. Like I didn't see any news. What's going on? What do people know? Why is this getting bet today? Or you know, is it just some big bets at a few places that don't really have information behind them, or or does somebody actually know something? Because you see that all the time, especially in in markets that maybe you're not as familiar with. Where you know, I'm I'm not really heavy into the NBA news. And you'll see a big move in the NBA, and then I'll hear the injury news like two hours later. Like, oh, you know, <laughs> I don't have good connections with the NBA, or I'm not even asking the question. So it's just like, you know, the people who know, who are in the know, they're they're a few hours ahead of you, and then often you can just see that stuff happening on the board <laughs> on the screen, like uh, in real time, well before you get that news. Yeah, that's for sure. And uh, you you, you got to feel fortunate if you get something, but you have to trust it. Um, the San Fran was very tricky last year, putting out some uh, interesting information. You brought that up to me right before we started recording, and uh, it's just so funny how everyone thought they were going to draft like Mac Jones for a while, and it's been switching back and forth. Yeah, that was uh, you know that's just kind of their mo, I guess, to keep people off the scent. And there is there is something to it, I guess. They're not just trying to be piss ants and bug us. It's you know when you have a second, third, fourth, I guess just depends how far you want to go down on this, but those real high leverage spots that aren't the, you know, the number one pick, nobody can trade ahead of you for the number one pick. Mm -hmm. But when you're sitting in some of those spots and somebody might be able to trade ahead of you, that's looking at something, you do have to keep other people on their toes. I'm I'm a hundred percent sure there are teams that bring in players for interviews that have no intention of ever even thinking about drafting them. Like we're going to bring this guy in. We're going to make a big deal out of it. A big enough deal where it's in the news. Like, Hey, the, the lions brought this guy in and we're going to make sure everyone knows about it just to keep people, keep people honest as far as not just knowing exactly where we're going and can trade ahead or, you know, maneuver around you. So I don't blame them, but man, the Niners were, that was annoying last year. It was very, very difficult to figure out what was going on until the very end. Oh, it sure was, man. I mean, you wish that you could have gotten in their heads early because obviously Trey Lance oh, was plus money for a while, long time, nice plus money too. It was completely out of left field um, that they wanted him, and then at the very end, they kind of admitted what they did and and talked about it. So that's really funny. I think you and I probably got on it super late when we got the information, which happens, but yeah. uh, you know, getting an information early is important. So what's been going on over at BetSports, my man? Uh, you know, I, you've been very active over there. I always follow that site and uh, you, I think you guys are doing a great job. Yeah. My biggest project lately has been the golf golf product that we put out. Um, I have multiple meetings every day so <laughs> over golf. Yeah working on that because it's it's something we wanted to get out right away with the masters coming up knowing that it's going to be a work in progress so working on with the tech team on some new tools right now where people can do a lot of research i think that's that's my favorite thing about um you know the the type of betters that are getting into this that aren't just firing random parlays and 10 10 leg same game parlays like the people who want to sit and do a little research and make some bets so that's kind of what we're trying to cater to there because we have a just a grip of data yeah from the pga and we're trying to put it in a more manageable form for anybody to you know take their i don't want to call them theories but you know their thesis on that tournament and say here's what i think matters this week and i want to be able to 
figure out which golfers I think I should be betting in the quickest, easiest manner. So working on tools there. And then, yeah, the app, the Vetsports app is getting some major facelifts with uh, some more data coming in as far as being able to track all your prop bets, NBA, you know, player prop bets, team prop bets, anything like that. Golf, all the golf betting, all the, you know, once we get to NFL again. So just the, the offering of what bets you can track in the app, just, multiplied by about a thousand once we get these final updates in so that's very exciting that stuff's just starting to trickle in right now with uh some beta testing with the nba props but uh, that'll be very fun because uh, maybe that's you know i complain i work here but i complain about it too <laughs> I, said, I wish i wish i could track more stuff and yeah that's a big part of what the dev team's been working on lately yeah most most definitely i love the prop markets and they're huge and uh I, I got into them last year, and they were, I was successful in the NFL props. I just uh, concentrated uh, one media outlet and TikTok for it, and the TikTok prop plays went really well. So uh, I, I think uh, tracking that's going to be very important coming up. And speaking about some of the modeling you do, I was I was just listening to the deep dive with you and Drew over there, and you're talking about some Poisson distributions and uh, got me all excited. First inning baseball stuff, and I was like, you know, it's funny. Yeah. I, I don't know how much modeling you do, and I have I have a, an NFL model, and I use it. But I've tried to model like um, other sports, and it's 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 just very time consuming for me to get the data in there. I think there's some better ways of doing it, and how people scrape. But I, I got to tell you, um, I was really excited hear, hearing you guys talk about that because that's kind of the next level stuff that we need to concentrate on. And um, just want to ask you, how much modeling do you do yourself with basketball? A lot because. I've I've found and, and you're right. The time-consuming part is often just getting the data in and getting it cleaned up. Like that's a pain. There's a lot of good sites that are easy-ish to scrape, I guess, for college basketball, which has mm-hmm. been nice. But that's what I'm saying with the golf product too. We're trying to make that like, hey, I'm sorry that you know it's, I can't sit here and teach every single person how to build scrapers or pay someone to build scrapers like that that part is tricky that's a pain in the butt even at the lowest level of just using you know import html on google sheets i mean there's some tricks and tips that you'll need but the getting getting some people some data where they won't have to do that but with yeah with college basketball i'm pulling in a lot nfl a little less so um more more subjective stuff for me there, but I do have a, a you know, a, a team level model, especially for totals. And then uh, golf is golf is tricky because it is not like other sports at all. And it's uh, something we're dealing with over there too, with the data team is, you know, it's not uh, just team a versus team B it's team a versus or player a versus this golf course. Right. While 150 other guys are doing the same thing and we'll see who ends up on top based on uh and then you have weather and things thrown in so golf is a whole different basket i suppose but yeah mostly mostly college basketball and like you said we talked a little baseball i sat down when i had 10 15 minutes and started making a list of if i wanted to do a prop and i just i went with like home run bets like two two hit a home run yes tonight because that's a fun one like i'm like <laughs> if i'm gonna do one for you know recreationally but build a little model i'll do a fun one mm-hmm. and I, I started making a list of all the things that could affect that you know like the weather and you know the park factors and some things i started looking to i mean that's step one is write down what info you need and then step two go find it and see if you can scrape it easily 
and I'm just barely past step one on baseball. We're going <laughs> to let a few more games go by. I got to, I got to figure out golf and the draft. I'm going to let the draft pass by and then I'll start working on baseball for sure. Oh, I know. I can just imagine how deep you can go barrel rates and uh fly ball percentage yeah. on pitchers and uh, wind. There's just so much stuff that you can uh, put into it. And uh, that's why I had a baseball model a long time ago, and it just got conv- so convoluted. <laughs> I just had to kind of scrap it. And there is a big modeling crew that sometimes shapes the baseball markets anyway. But um, sometimes just going back to what I what I do best and just kind of look for weakness in the market is probably what I stick with mostly in baseball. But um, great stuff, man. I, I love hearing about that. And if you get any farther on your uh, – on your little poison task there. I, w- I would like to hear more about it, Andy. So great stuff there, man. Well, let's talk about this draft class then. You know, it's uh, NFL time because it's always NFL time these days. And, uh, man, uh, the quarterbacks in this draft, I got to tell you, the market seems to not like them this year. And uh, <laughs> I'm trying to like them. I'm having a hard time. I, I want to know what your thoughts are on this quarterback class. Yeah, you know, sometimes you'll see stuff in the media. Oh, man. A good example that I can't get out of my head because I posted to somebody else was, um, you know, uh, who's the guy? Lunardi, who does the bracketology. I think Mm -hmm. it was him. He just, big article, Duke's run ends with Murray State in round two. Or, you know, (laughs) like, I was like, I don't know if he actually believes that, but that's going to get a lot of clicks. Like, like, that's what you're dealing with in round one of March Madness. It's huge. It's uh, it's you know, it's a really big thing, and they're gonna put some sensationalized article to get you to click on it, and you'll see that with everything. You see that with the draft, and I, I just don't think that's the case with these quarterbacks because every article is that way. Like nobody is trying to go contrary and be like, well, actually, you know, you know, the Willis. And pe- there are people that like Willis. There are people that like Howell. I mean, there's people that like those quarterbacks. But I think they like him compared to the general consensus. Like, yeah, he's not that bad. But at the same time, it is certainly nowhere near the the classes we've had the past few years, or they, you know, the classes we'll have coming up at least next year for sure. It's hard to grade out kids that are two years away from a draft, I think. But next year will be better, and last year definitely is better. And yeah, it's it's just a rough one for some of these teams, which is I guess good for the Jags. The Jags have a quarterback; they have a young quarterback. Drafting high, the Lions—I don't know. Maybe they have enough needs where maybe they can wait and tank one more year. The Texans are kind of in a spot too. So a lot of these top teams—that's the worst case scenario—is like we have no quarterback. We're a shit team. We lose all these games. We get a high draft pick, and then there's no quarterbacks there. Like that's that's the terrible scenario. And yeah, I, I I don't think I don't think like any of those teams are in that spot where they can't get another high draft pick if you're the Lions, the Texans, one of those teams. So, you know, the, the, the goal would be to fire it back, run it back again, not tank. I hate telling a team to tank, but running it back and getting another high draft pick for next year, filling it in other spots. I mean, there's so many good linemen and defensive players, and all those teams have so many needs anyway. So mm-hmm. it, it stinks because it's fun to see these young quarterbacks get drafted and, you know, get excited about them all summer, but, 
I don't know. We'll have to get excited about something else. It's not like I'm not going to watch the NFL. <laughs> right. Well, it, it, great points. But, you know, it's funny. You wonder if it's worse for some of those teams that need a lot. Wouldn't it be better if the Jaguars could trade down to, to uh, Atlanta's spot and just get an extra oh, yeah. second round? Uh, nobody wants to do that with them now because nobody, nobody's going to go crazy for a quarterback. And I I thought that they would. I, I put a small bet on each of the three quarterbacks. Um that they'd be first pick, but then that was way back in February, and I realized afterwards it was a bad play because nobody likes the quarterbacks. But there's, I think some of the reasons why is because the two best quarterbacks last year, at least QBR-wise or stat-wise, were Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. I mean, I mean, you know, those guys, the fact that they can't go out to the draft makes people like, well, we can't even get the best people out of this class this year. You know, I, I think that hurts the perception of this class. And I also think that the fact that Trevor Lawrence didn't like put the Jaguars in the playoffs and you can, there's a million reasons yeah. why Zach Wilson looked terrible on the Justin Fields looked lost on the bears. And I, a lot of that's coaching issues, of course. And you and I know that the jury certain is, isn't out, but uh, just their performances right there. Isn't going to make people like this class. If this class couldn't do a heck of a lot last year. So a lot going against them, Andy. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And again, you never know. I'm horrible at watching a college career and telling you that that quarterback's going to be good in the pros. Mm-hmm. I'm about like I'm about 2 for 50 on that. So maybe <laughs> all these quarterbacks will be just fine. It's uh but I mean from from a from a talent standpoint where the NFL teams are ranking these it's it is a really bad quarterback hey, class. You are not the only one cuz I said Mason Rudolph would be awesome and uh Lamar Jackson would suck. So there you go. Um I think I was pretty much in that boat as well. <laughs> you know, um it, it, it was funny now what's going to happen this will probably be the best quarterback class in the last uh 20 yeah. 20 years now that we we all hate this it, it's funny you look at bailey zappy his numbers were like record-breaking and you compare him to zach wilson and you're like well what, what what's different they they're very similar quarterbacks uh byu had a terrible schedule last year and he's drafted second it's just so funny how things change but now that's a great discussion here. I'm really excited to see what's going to happen. And everybody has next year's quarterback class already in the top of their draft board. So um, that definitely affects things here. And I think maybe you're going to see the Jaguars and a couple other teams, the Houston Texans with their better pick, sit there and wait till the clock gets down to 30 seconds. Maybe, maybe they're hoping for that offer that's not going to happen. Yeah, it's so tough. I mean, that was a great point by you. Like, if there was a surefire can't-miss quarterback and the Jags already have Trevor Lawrence, they are, you know, they probably have three or four suitors, and Atlanta, like you said, is one of them, and they're in a good position. So then it does kind of stink for the Jags, I guess, but having the number one pick a couple years in a row doesn't hurt. Yeah, building a base. That's very true. Getting rid of Urban Meyer ain't too bad either. So we'll we'll see how this year pans out with doug well cool man let's get into a little position totals then and i i'm gonna go by DraftKings. it's a common one that's used um sure it's uh decent limits i, I would say and some of the uh numbers here but let's start with uh position totals here and you know it's funny about uh you know s- some of the things that we say is quarterbacks are looked at as pretty low i mean Two and a half quarterbacks is the number, but it's juiced to the over at 2.5. Everybody says it's going to be three quarterbacks. 
What scares me about this one right now, Andy, is that the Lions, they pick 32nd and 34th. So I have absolutely no idea what they're doing because 32nd is first round, 34th is the second pick of the second round. So that's where I'm stuck, and I don't have a play on that. Oh, I looked at this. It's probably a market I'm avoiding. I know some people who found some two-and-a-halfs cheap early on in the cycle and and bet that, but at a different book, and I, I think it was just over at FanDuel, maybe, I, I can't remember where I pulled this, but I found one place had three-and-a-half for quarterbacks where it's obviously juiced the other way, and that's the toughest thing. It's not like... LeBron rebounds where they just have to bump it from six and a half to seven and a half and change the number and be like, well, he could get another rebound if the market thinks so. Like there's just not like that fourth quarterback that's sliding in. (laughs) And I mean, for four to go would be very, very tough with all the needs and the kind of teams that would be looking for one later in that round. And that's, it's under three and a half is minus two ten. Like you had at DraftKings, over two and a half is minus two fifty. I, I want someone to just give me an exactly three minus whatever the hell they want, and I'd I'd probably lay some on that. But it's a it's a market I did stay away from. And if I but I, if I had to bet it, I might look at that. The under three and a half is probably something I like a lot more than over two and a half. I think there's a lot of situations where it's it's just you know willis and pickett and that might be it i lean there's like you said with the lions sitting right there at 34 i'm not you know uh, i'm hearing a lot of ritter steam and Mm -hmm. there's some teams that like howl too so i guess but that man there's so many other good players and there's only so many spots i also think that i and i agree with you i would take three and a half under but the issue in this happens to me every year with wide receivers i always bet under and i get burned because these gm <laughs> no these gms fall in love with these players yep. it's usually quarterbacks and wide receivers too it's like it makes no sense to draft them high in many cases you know the year that i went under a big number and it went over not one of those teams made the playoffs not one of them that took a first round receiver in 2020 made a, made the playoffs seven or eight of those teams you know and it's just like uh, people get scared and GMs get nervous. You know, maybe maybe they secretly like Howell or Ritter and they're scared somebody else takes him and then they quickly trade up into the first just to get them. And do they look as bad if they're trading into pick thirty three or uh, yeah. you know with with the with the Jaguars or or, or pick thirty? They they don't look as bad doing that. You know, they 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 would look bad if they're making a shot at a, a top five, top ten, especially when the class is frowned upon. So you, that could happen, and that's what keeps me off this market as well. But you know, I guess pivoting right into wide receivers uh, over five point five is also massively juiced at minus two forty. And my experience is that. Um, people are infatuated with receivers, and I do not like this wide receiver class at all either, Andy. Uh, I'm very pessimistic in general, I guess, on this whole draft. But I also think it will go over five and a half just because of what I said about the GMs as well. So what are your thoughts on that position? Yeah, I mean, just like right off the top, five, like almost certainly, you know, like obviously Wilson – Wilson, London, Jamison Williams, uh, Olave, Burks, and then then you get into that weird spot. London. And it has been bet up. This is another one where people have bet it up, 
and you hand up with, I mean, it, it depends how you feel about the end of the round where like, teams do like offensive playmakers. Teams love getting themselves a, a guy they can, you know, they can see selling, selling tickets, selling jerseys, right. scoring points. It's, it's a sexier pick and it is an offensive league, but yeah, once you get to that, once you get past five, it's it's tricky, and you see this every year where some sneak in, and I, I do believe it's going to be a more offensive heavy first round than maybe we've seen sometimes. Yeah, but boy, it's at that price. There's just so much goofiness that comes up with this, and I, I talk about this when I tried to make a mock draft the last couple of years. And I said, you know, it's fine and dandy to try to like do the top ten, but after that, you're really, really even the best in the world are just guessing because yeah. all it takes is is one person to do something weird, you know. And I uh, think about a couple of years ago with the Raiders taking rugs, like that just wasn't where that was expected to happen with and the wide receiver things got all yeah, messed up yeah. with Cooper going in a different spot. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, what, what, what's happening when, when one weird GM decides to make a bad decision and then like 16 through 32 end up being <laughs> way different than anybody can probably prognosticate. So yeah. this one's, this it's another one that I'm certainly not betting the under because there's just, you know, there's like two or three guys that are falling in that, 25 to 35 range. Yeah. They could absolutely like pick it. George Pickens goes first round. Sure. Like Watson, Dotson, one other one I'm trying to think of. There, there's just a few guys that are just right up there that if they go in the first round, like that's not going to surprise me. So I, I respect the money that moved the the over three or the over five and a half for sure. Me too. Traylon Burks and London from USC are two highly you know higher projected ones i think that that might have been the ones you talk about or you're thinking about my i think the best wide receiver got injured and that was jameson williams in the in the yeah. in the championship game he tore his acl you, you know that means he's not playing till october right and that's what people are saying it's like do you want to take a receiver that can't play the first half of the year and i guess if you're a really good team and you have some receiver depth and you can get to the middle. Maybe that's like, okay, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll wait till he's, we'll wait and we'll be okay waiting because we'll be banged yeah. up by mid October anyway. I, and we need them then. So it, it's just, it's tough to me because I see, I seen the Ohio state players when Olave and Wilson sat out in the Rose bowl. And I'm like, Harrison's kid is better than he, both these guys is what I was yeah. thinking. And the other guy, I forgot his name off, off the top well, of It's the head. same time you, yeah. you see a Bama wide receiver get hurt. Yeah. The next, like, oh, this is his backup. And then he goes for eight catches for 225 and a touchdown. It's like, oh, that, that's, that guy was benched. You <laughs> yeah. know, it's just uh, it's a, it's a wealth of riches at some of these programs. But yeah, like Wilson and Olave, London and Williams, like that's, I just, and Burks, like I, those five, I, almost almost in pen burks is a little further down there's people who have him out of the first round but like uh, you know I, I have five pretty much in pen and then there's three guys that can sneak in so when it when it's like you're banking on one guy where is he is he going to go 28th to this team who likes him or if he if he misses that he's just not going and i think people say that and like if if he doesn't go at 28 he's not going in the first round and then they see the 30th and the 32nd picks end up with trades or something. And then they have to sit and sweat that out again. And I I don't think a lot of that is worth it when you're laying north of $2 on some of these prices that 
there's much sure bets out on the board if you want to lay minus 250 on something. Yeah, for sure. There is. Going to, uh, here's an interesting one with the tight ends. It's funny because under 0.5, meaning under one, obviously, he's got no. to be a zero here. Minus 700, right? Minus 700, you got to lay. Or if you really think someone can grab a tight end, plus 475. Now, obviously, I, you can probably shop that and get a better plus number than that. That's probably a little bit wrong. But I think that I, I, lo I look back to 2018, Andy, where Garrison Hurst, I believe it was, slipped into the first round. And I lost this bet. I, I took under, and I had a good number, and the number went in my favor. And then I lost it because a team fell in love with him and nobody knew. It was, it was like to pick 20, uh, I think the Ravens picked him at 24th or 25th or something like that, if I remember properly. So, But the question is, being at plus 475, or let's just call it plus 500, 5 to 1, is that worth a shot here because of what we don't know going on? Yeah, I looked at this one a little because whenever you see that, just quickly in your head, you're like, oh, it just takes one. It just you just need <laughs> one guy to, to to find their way into the first. And really, like looking at the tight ends, it's just there's not a guy on the really in that edge spot. In that, you know, maybe if you if you do some sort of composite, nobody falls in that thirty to forty range where it's like somebody could bump him up. Like there, I feel like there's probably just too many good players in between. You know, where, wherever somebody is drafting, maybe later in the first round, and where I think it's uh, Trey McBride. I think he's Colorado Trey McBride, and then the the UCLA kid. Mm -hmm. Those are kind of your tight ends. Day two guys, it would be a big ask, but this is something to keep an eye on. If you hear any, like if you hear anything, if somebody is talking, like, hey, this is a guy we might we might have ranked a lot higher than other teams. If, catch any whispers it's a big number yeah like all all it has to be is some team that's hey we have them we have this t player a lot higher than maybe other teams and it's somebody that would be looking at trading into the first although it just it doesn't feel like something you would have to trade in front of another team to get so i still do think those are round two round three guys and yeah the tight end it might be just another year with no tight ends so i'm probably holding patter on that one uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. Last year, Kyle Pitts, super hyped. I mean, so hyped coming into this draft. And the thing that I, I saw, Florida, uh, yeah, they played Alabama. But, I mean, he had a pretty easy time um, in that SEC West minus the Georgia, or SEC East minus Georgia. And it, it's just kind of like you, he goes to Atlanta and then, the guy that went to that the guy from Penn State looked a little bit better. That went to, and I, I he's escaping my name. That went to the Steelers. Maybe you can think of him real quick. The tight end there uh, ended up having a pretty good year. Um, so you look at these guys that could have hurt them a little bit. I'm hearing a little buzz on Jelani Woods. He had a great forty time, four point six one. Um, he was the top bench press guy in the combine, I believe, but. I, I I think the fact that there's not a separation between some of the guys that you just mentioned, um, Connor Hayward, you know, uh, Okonkwo, they're okay with not getting like their guy. I, I think I think the the people are yeah. looking at it like they're all the same, so we'll wait, right? Yeah, and Woods is another one. He's right there, not 
he's not far, you know, not far from the other names I spit out there. There's kind of, I guess, I feel bad not mentioning him now, but he is right there too. Mm-hmm. So you got like three tight ends who are probably high end, you know, their ceiling is like high end second round guys. Right, right, right. If somebody falls in love with them, it's just going to be so hard for them to jump in front of some of these big names that are going to be near the se- the end of the first round. So that's a tough ask. That's and the, the the books, you know, they they put that price there for a reason. They're just tempting you. Exactly. I can see a tight end. You get 5 to 1 on. It. That's a nice little tickle. I bet they take a ton of small bets on that. Just people wanting You're right. to You're right. wanting to clean up on the tight end market. Yeah, they'll, they'll, that'll be their liability. No, that, not small bets, but, you know, it, it, it's going to be one that they're, I mean, they're, a, they're trying a to make a shitload of $10 bets and, you know, just a whole <laughs> bunch of 10 and $20 bets across the, a bunch of time, and suddenly they're sweating a tight end, which, I, I'm again, I don't think they have to worry. No, I don't think so either. What? So in these positions with the totals, I did take one. And the re- sure. the reason I took this one and I laid minus one ninety is because I just I don't see the separation similar with the tight ends. And I took under running backs. I did take under the point five in running backs. I just I just don't see a team that needs to reach when they are so uh, close to each other via rankings. I know Hall graded really well. Um, and I'm trying to pull up my uh some of my rankings here it's just taking me a minute there's a couple like walker right from michigan state um, yep. um he's walker a, um Zemir white like yeah there's, yeah i mean you're right there's just like two or three guys there that are in that i don't know middle of the second round and i like i, I think what you're trying to say is like no one has to reach because if they don't get one there's another one right there too. Like, oh, there's a few second round running backs. If we don't get our guy, we'll get a different guy or, or we'll, you know, maybe our need wasn't so strong. We could go to a different position. I mean, I, I, I would agree with that for sure. It's like, there's three guys that are so similar and maybe skill and ceiling that people aren't going to reach for a running back. I wouldn't hope, although teams do stupid stuff all the time. <laughs> yeah, they do, but yeah, <laughs> but thanks for, yeah. yeah, thanks for telling me it's saying that. And, I mean, Brian Robinson from Bama, slower 40 time. You got, like you said, what? there's two guys from Georgia that are both really good, and, and Brees Hall, and uh, it, they're just all bunched up there. There's nobody worth reaching for in the first round. But instead of laying minus 700, I get minus 190. I just think it's way better value, and it's the same situation, Andy. Yeah, no, I like that one. I don't see there being there's just so much offensive line and yeah. and defensive back talent and there's some I mean there's a bunch of again, it's probably five, six, maybe seven wide receivers. You go seven wide receivers, three run three quarterbacks, a couple safeties, um, you know, six defensive linemen, all of a sudden you're running out of room. You can just there's you know, there's not that there's only so many spots. We always joke about that when we make these bets and when you're sitting there at the end of the first round and you have like four more unders or four more will be drafted in the first round and there's only two spots left, like this ain't, this isn't gonna work. I'm done run out of room. <laughs> it done run there's out only of room. there's only only so many picks. So yeah, I, I I think for sure I like that price. It's under yeah, under minus two hundred for uh, there's I've seen one or two mocks that have Brees Hall going, you know, like I wanna say Buffalo. <laughs> Was tied to. I think Buffalo is too smart for that. Kansas City 
I've seen someone mock that, and I don't I don't see that they they did a first round running back a couple of years uh, ago. And they have yeah, bigger needs. Yeah, they have bigger needs than taking that sort of reach again. So in Buff- no, I full agree with you on that. And Buffalo is the only one I thought of. So thanks for mentioning them. Um, what I think with Buffalo is the way they got torched by Kansas City in that playoff game. They're going defensive back, man. They're going. You know, a cornerback or safety. I, I just think that they're smart enough to know that, just like you said. So the Buffalo is my only concern there. But when you have uh, Singletary and uh, Zach Moss, I think they still retain those two. Um, maybe I, maybe they didn't. I thought I thought they did. Then why would you reach here when you can get a guy later? So that, that was my thoughts, Andy. And you know what's funny about running back? Since you're McCormick, remember that name that was – Everyone said from UTSA all year long, Sincere McCormick, Sincere McCormick. Well, he ran the 40 at 4.6, and <laughs> being 205 pounds, you should be running the 40 a little bit faster than them. So I almost think he hurt himself. And I'm looking on draft boards, and it's funny, I, just this week, I totally forgot about it. I'm like, where the where the hell is Sincere McCormick ring? He's not even the top 10 or top 15 wow. of these boards. It's just so funny how touted a guy could be in college. Pretty much ran UTSA, you know, a massive part of that team winning Conference USA and him not even being in a top 10 draft position. It's so funny to me, man. Yeah, I know that uh, some, sometimes these guys are awful smart as far as what they do for workouts. They know, like, well, I'm not running a 40. That's not going to help me. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's funny. It's, um, I think that. A wide receiver almost has to if he wants to yeah. be in the first round because otherwise they're going to question. But you also have to know if you're slow enough where it's going to be worse than you just saying my ankle hurts, you know, <laughs> something like that. I think uh, McCormick fell into that, and he blew his draft position. He'll be like a late pick now if he's lucky. But let's go into a little bit of these position totals right now. And um. I'm just going to give you one that moved, and I got it at the plus 100. Um, some hype started coming in on Kayvon Thibodeau. What was funny about Kayvon, the defensive end, edge rusher, he was really the first guy that everyone was talking about before the college season last year. He played for Oregon. He was hurt, oh, yeah. hurt a couple games, but he still has those measurables, and then the thing about Aiden Hutchinson, I love the kid and what he did at Michigan, and his stats were great. But to be honest with you, if you look at actual metric performances that, you know, the pro day came and the combine a little bit, Thibodeau was faster. Thibodeau is more explosive. And I just thought he's, with the need an edge rusher and the hate for quarterbacks, it's going to be a big push for edge rusher. So I took him under the minus, uh, under 5.5 at plus 100, but it's already up to minus 180 now, getting close to where the value is going away, Andy. So any thoughts on that? Yeah. I I have a heart. And this is a weird draft where a lot of things can happen at the top. And a lot of times we ha- we're sitting in this and we know who the top pick is. Or we know who the top two is last year. When we were just we're sitting there worried about three. Everything was figured out <laughs> till then. But, like, the Neil Hutchinson, Walker, Thibodeau, Iquano, like all that stuff could uh, Malik Willis sliding in there in a weird spot like all that stuff could get messed around I still think just like getting past the Jets and the Giants is tough that's tough like if you're both of those teams and we'll see if the Giants realize 
how far behind the, you know, some people are so far behind the race. They think they're actually ahead. <laughs> Giants sometimes fall into that, but yeah. they know they have so many needs, both defense and offensive line. Like I could see, you know, I could see them skipping and going, you know, like a, a cross or if a Quanu fell, I don't know if Neil could possibly fall that far, but there's, there's a lot of things that can happen. I just, don't see Thibodeau getting past both of those teams. And I've seen mocks that have him out at like, you know, seven. Like, I guess what? He fell. Caroline ended up skipping on him too. And he goes to the Giants. The Giants would love that. If they could get Thibodeau at seven, that'd be uh that'd be great for them. But man, that that's a. Uh, that's not something I see happening. I, I think I like that one. All right, cool. Yeah, and I it, I those some of those teams, Texans, Detroit, uh the Jets. Giants all bottom six in pressure rate last year, so it just screams. Yeah, they all need help. That, yeah, it, it does, and especially when they're so deep at the other positions, it's time to get the best of those positions over with before you miss on it. And that's kind of the way I looked at it. So I know you made a lot of your plays late last year in the draft. Did you yeah. make any of these position prop plays yet? There was some. Smoke around Walker going first. So I played some Hutch to go over one and a half. Okay. Like uh, just, just you know, the, the position as far as where his position would be because it was a bigger number. And that, and I really wanted to go back to your Thibodeau thing. Yeah. Like if, if something happens where it goes Walker, Hutch, Walker, Hutchinson first, second, you know, that's all of a sudden you have, Two two edge guys are gone. No. I think at that point your your Thibodeau thing is like there's no way the you know the Giants or Jets can wait at that point. Like yeah. you, you're sitting. I mean, who's who's your fourth best? The, the Florida State kid. So yeah, I think for sure they if if those two are gone at by by the time they get to four, one of the New York teams is for sure grabbing him. So I do have a little on that. And then I mean for the for the most part. It's been just little nibbles here and there of overs and unders on some players. I'm playing around a little in the core of the wide receiver markets. That's something, again, like you said, shop around. There's stuff that's almost overlapping to the point of arbitrage with some of these positional spots. Like the Olave, there's a book that has him under minus 110 and another that has him over plus 110 mm -hmm. it's, right, it's, right, right. it's it's really really close to being able to play just both sides on these without even waiting yeah. you know at playing the bets at the same time so um i think i think the wide receiver markets um if you look around you can find some decent prices on first wide receiver taken there's a few i don't know like i yeah, Wilson. Wilson is chalk. I think it's probably going to be chalk everywhere. Most mocks have him pretty high, but there's a there's a decent chance that that is something that drops. So, like a Drake London at a decent price is something I've popped a little here and there, and I don't mind that if you can find that at better than two and one. Why? But like you said, the wide receiver markets get wild, so I, I'm taking it kind of easy on that. I don't know. I'd, I don't know how you feel about uh, which wide receiver goes off the board first. It's just been kind of solid consensus that it's just Garrett Wilson, no matter what. I try to I try to talk myself out of it, and I kept I kept falling back on Garrett Wilson 
Um, and it's because of, like I said, with Jameson Williams' injury, Drake London didn't play a full year last year. He didn't run the combine either. So it's kind of like yeah. two things for him. Chris Olave's uh, vertical jump was four inches lower than Garrick Wilson's, and Garrick Wilson had a tiny one hundredth or whatever of a second faster on his forty. People are saying Garrett Wilson's the more explosive one. Um, I, I think that there's some more value later in this wide receiver draft. Looking at guys like David Bell, um, looking at guys Jahan Dotson. I really like him a lot. You got Matchy sitting out there. Uh, Justin Ross. I mean, what happened to him? I mean, he was a massively touted guy, right? Justin Ross. It's like yeah. I like these guys more. I, I really do. So that's why I, I, I think, as myself, I would go under five and a half. But as these GMs think, <laughs> I think it goes over. You know, so yeah. drives me freaking nuts, man. No, and that's where the Alave thing. I don't understand why Alave's numbers is even for it. Like, there's just. If somebody took him as the first wide receiver, yeah, I don't know. I just, I would have to take that guy's GM card away. Yes, <laughs> just like uh, well, if somebody really talked themselves into a Williams, that would be surprising. But Olave or Burks would be just wild. So for me, it's Wilson or London. And if you can find a good London number, I think there's a shot that maybe the what was it the commodores what are we calling them now the the, the, the commanders the commanders i couldn't think of the damn name Kim. the commanders the i commanders. call them the guardians the recently so there you go oh the guardian there you <laughs> i go. call them the baseball the commanders you know, there's a few spots there where a wide receiver could go depending on how things happen yeah. 10 11 10 11 is kind of that that area there where i think we get to settle that one yeah you know it's funny is um you look at the Jets and they're so projected to pick a wide receiver, and I'm like, well, they just last two drafts they picked one in the second round, and they just signed freaking uh, what's his face over from Tennessee last year that turned out pretty good, and you know, it's just uh, it, it's it, it blows my mind that um, they're sitting here drafting another wide receiver with their second pick. It's just the same repeat, repeat every single year. What doesn't work for you, you know, and. I just like the I just like the second round receivers a lot more, as I said before. And Wandale Robinson's there too. And I I, yeah. I just look at these names and I like them a lot better. But um before we go, I wanna ask you a question and I have an answer to it, but I'm gonna ask you first. Um yeah, what in, in this, what is the okay, Matt Rule, right? I was I thought that they would be better last year. Sam Darnold was an awful choice. Now you're sitting here with a team in Carolina Panthers that have the sixth pick of the draft, and they don't pick until the fourth round now. And you got Matt Rule biting his nails. Wondering what the hell is going to save his job, Andy. Well, I'm going to ask you, what can the Carolina Panthers do to save Matt Rule's job? Not the smart thing to do, like trade down or anything. I mean, what is going to save this man or has the highest chance of saving his job for next year? So that's the thing. Like the right move, like if you're building a team, is to probably take whatever falls to you there if it's you know again i don't know about taking a safety that high although they need help all over but like if cross is there if there's you know if, if you can get a really good lineman if you can get a really good defender like that's the move that's what the team should do but you don't save your job by 
you know, drafting a really good <laughs> offensive lineman and and stuffing like, oh, look how good this young offensive lineman is on our three and fourteen team. Like you just you would lose your job at that point, even though you did the right thing long term for the franchise. So it does kind of feel like they might do something stupid and end up with a quarterback. If they take a quarterback at six, they should probably just pack it in and call it a call of the year anyway. But Trading back for a quarterback, I think, is the how do I save my job move. Like, find a way to trade out of that spot, move down for Pickett, move down for Howell, Ritter, whoever. Like, it doesn't matter. If you're just <laughs> trying to get one more year, just find a spot, trade down, and take whatever quarterback's there and try to, you know, try to pretend that was your plan all along. Like, if you're just, <laughs> if you're just playing game theory, trying to get one more year of paychecks, is that. But, like, if, if they go, like, Pick it at six, Jesus! I don't know. I don't know what I can. Did that whole team like everyone would have to go to the top? All, all of it, cut off the head. I think that. I think if you could trade down and still be in the first round to draft a, a, the third quarterback or something, would make you perfect. that would yeah. that would make you look good. Like the let's say state maybe the Steelers do like somebody um, a lot more, right? And maybe they do give you their second round pick or something because you don't have that. So you get a quarterback that's touted could be a Desmond Ritter, could be uh, like you said Pickett. Maybe I don't think if you like Howell. That's great. I think that's the number one thing that you could do, but I don't think that's going to happen, and I don't think anyone's going to give them anything for that pick um, because I don't think a lot of people, unless there's a, maybe Kavion Thibodeau's there or something. I, I don't know, but I think they they unfortunately. I mean, the best thing to do is get San Fran's quarterback, but that's not going to happen. You know, a lot of people are. Spe- I was going to say they, they need to trade then if that's if they can't do that. I, I looked at this and I just it's hard to judge because they have a new GM and we don't know much about Mister Quesi. But uh, the Vikings sitting in their spot where they're at it. I mean, it's not far enough down maybe to make it. I mean, if you take Pickett at 12, I guess you take Pickett at 12. But trading with Minnesota, who has like a bottom five, maybe a little better. If there's an offensive lineman there, like if if, if Cross is on the board and you can talk to Minnesota about moving up for a swap there, they can get their offensive lineman. Or maybe there's a cornerback the Vikings really want. Maybe that's a trade partner. But it's a tough ask because you're not going to get what you want. And but maybe the optics are a little better if you take a quarterback at twelve and six. I guess that's true. I mean, let's say that can't happen. I don't think. I think San Fran would be stupid not to keep two quarterbacks here because Jimmy Garoppolo yeah. was top five EPA per play. I, he was fantastic last year with what he had to work with. And Trey Lance is not proven, and he could still be a bust. Imagine them being stupid and like getting Darnold or something just because they don't want the controversy because of the media, that would be one of the worst. Yeah. Uh, that would be the best case scenario for Matt Rule. But to be honest with you, if he has to stay in this position, drafting a Kenny Pickett or a Charles Strong, they'll get killed. They will absolutely get killed. That offensive line is freaking terrible. So unfortunately, I think the only thing that could possibly save him if they can't trade out of that is Malik Willis. And it sucks because he played for Liberty and he looked bad on his senior day and yep. I, but he has 442 speed so I look at it like this I was down on Lamar Jackson too and he turned out well right Kyler Murray 
I mean, he was everyone's number one, but he went to a, a school with a bad off, or a, I mean, a NFL team in the Cardinals with a very bad offensive line, and he was adequate. You know, he's pretty good there. So maybe if the, if Matt Rule can kind of have a system like he check down once or twice and freaking run for the stars, slide, get five yards, get seven yards, get chunks. Maybe with that pretty good defense that Carolina has, that could work out for them, and maybe that could save his job. And I know I'm reaching here, and I don't think his job. Well, I mean, you're uh, right. You need, you, you need headlines to save your job. Like they have to be writing nice things about you in the paper. <laughs> Otherwise, I mean, in the in the position he's at, you know, he's hot seat in it. When you're hot seat in it, you need some nice headlines, and you're not going to get nice headlines out of a a good offensive lineman or a good cornerback that and cornerbacks take a year. Like it's, it's just such a tough league defensive players in general. It's so hard for a defensive player. You don't see things like we saw in Dallas rookies don't come into the league that often and play well on defense. It's, it's very, very difficult because it's a reactionary position where you have to be following a wide receiver or trailing a tight end. Like you have to react to somebody who's been in the league for 10 years. The only, you know, the only exception really is like just a pure edge rusher. Like all your job is to go kill the quarterback. Yeah. Like just try to get around these guys. Like for, for the most part, it's hard to get a defensive player in the draft and really like wow the local media with, what you did in the draft at that point it's you're not one one guy per year it feels like and that's you know that like you said to save your job i'm not rolling the dice on a defender yeah you're not rolling the dice on a defender and an offense alignment's not going to do it because sam darnold's not going to get you the playoffs it's just it's just like a massive wild card boomer bust potential and that's the only one i could really think of andy well my man we went a long time really appreciate your insight I had a great conversation with you love it I can't wait to hear more from you guys on the deep dive and uh, brown bag bets and all that, those great places and great podcasts that you put out every single week. But where could our users and listeners and viewers find your great information and, and follow you? Yeah. At Andy MSFW on Twitter, deep dive pod on Twitter, brown bag bets on Twitter, deep dive. We're doing a, uh, a special draft guest on Wednesday night, seven central. That'll be a fun one. One final draft show. And then I think uh, something we don't get into enough next Monday, we're going to do a little dynasty football league talk because who better to break down the rookie class after they get drafted than the guys who care more about it than honestly anybody I ever thought could. The dynasty league guys are so big into that. And we acquired uh, DLF dynasty league football. So have a bunch of those guys who are really smart with following these rookie classes into the NFL and deciding what kind of value they, they pose from a fantasy standpoint, but you know, obviously mostly on the offensive side. So some pretty fun NFL episodes coming up. We do a lot of, this and that in the off season, but I love it when we get back to just straight up NFL stuff. Yeah, me too, man. And I will be tuning in, Andy. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your thoughts. I'll be texting you and tweeting at you over the weekend. All right, perfect. Thanks. Good luck with all your bets. Now to bring on Matt Landis from Props and Hops and the Bet US Football Show. Now I'm very pleased to welcome for the first time to a show a man that might even drink more beer than me, or at least better beer. Mr. Matt Landis from the Props and Hops podcast and the BetUS NFL show. You can follow Matt on Twitter at MLandis18. Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show, my man. How's the hops been treating you lately? 
Kiev, thanks for bringing me on. Great to connect. Yeah, I'll say maybe quality over quantity when it comes to the hops as well as bets and other walks of life. Can't complain. LA is an embarrassment of riches when it comes to the hoppy offerings. In fact, after we wrap this up, I'm going to probably head to Highland Park Brewery before a Dodgers Braves game, and it just doesn't get much better than that. So no complaints on my end. Oh, man, I'm so jealous. You're going to the game tonight. That is fun. The Braves champions against the Dodgers. It's almost like an NLCS thing again. Yeah, that might be a preview of uh, a third straight battle to head to the World Series. So I know we're talking a different sport today, but with baseball being back, the draft coming up, yeah, the beer offerings out in my neck of the woods, it just seems like all is right with the world right now. Oh, and you know I love beer as well. We've had a few discussions before, my man, and uh, we have to talk about it some. You know, it's uh, uh, something that I've loved to well, I mean, I guess probably once since I was 15, I started drinking beer, but I didn't start drinking good beer or, you know, craft beer probably till the mid 2000s, I would say, you know, it's kind of when Lagunitas kind of came around a little bit more. And um, th- that's when I kind of got into it a little bit, you know, it was and it became quality over quantity for me a little bit, too. You know, obviously, you still have some of those baseball games, but um Either way, uh, I love beer, so why don't you tell us the history of your love for craft beer, Matt? Sure. So I grew up in San Diego, and you'd think it started then. I mean, I was basically in Stone Brewing's backyard, but growing up there, I was, by definition, not of legal age to partake. So actually, fast-forwarding quite a few years, my 29th birthday, my wife surprised me with a trip up the coast to San Luis Obispo. And we did a brewery tour for a couple days there. So I think we hit, what, seven to ten spots over the course of a couple days. It was That was quality and quantity right there to kick things off. And it just really opened my eyes to a lifestyle that I kind of fell in love with. I think some of it is time and place, you know, kind of a, a special occasion, going to a fun place with my wife putting together this great surprise event. Some of my best friends were there as well, and I didn't have any idea that was in the works. Um, So it just really set the right tone. And then once we got home from Slow, we're in the LA area, and the LA beer scene over the last decade has really started to take off. In fact, I took a class in craft beer at UCLA on nights uh, for a few months. So I crossed the aisle. I graduated from USC uh, back in my real college days, but for good craft beer, crossed the aisle, went to UCLA a few times and really soaked up as much knowledge as I could uh, to kind of earn my wings and the craft beer side of things. And it's just been a blast ever since. So um, yeah, coming up on six or seven years of really just going head on into the space. And of course, now when I get back home to San Diego or anytime we travel, just trying to find a good local craft beer. It's crazy. Just about anywhere one would want to go. There's some really good options and it's been really fun not only exploring the best liquid to drink but the best environment you know in in any area to really make the most of you know what makes each different place pretty special in its own right oh absolutely the beer garden is all a part about rating it as well you know some of these great spots and i've been to quite a few of them in california as well and i love san diego i go there once a year with the family we get it we get a at pb we get a house you know for about a week and uh, just kind of soak up the sun and enjoy the the beautiful sunsets it has, and obviously the awesome beer. So I'm going to ask you to give us five of your go-to beers right now. Now, it doesn't have to be favorite all time, but it's April, springtime. Why don't you give me five, and I'm going to give you five afterwards. 
Awesome. I'm excited to hear what you have to say. And I'm glad you queued this up the way you did, because when I think about this, I go back to the thought that as much as I love a good craft beer and I, I try to stick to what the Brewers Association uses to define craft beer is, you know, small, independent manufacturers. But there's a time and place for everything. I've been fortunate to have Adam Chernoff on my podcast, Props and Hops, a couple of times. And we've just talked about how the right environment can really elevate any experience. So if I think through this question, I like to start more with availability rather than the best beers in the world, you know, the $24 four packs. I mean, if anybody wants to nerd out on really fancy beers anytime, just hit me up and I'd be happy to talk as long as you want. But for the purposes of this conversation, you know, I'm, I'm going to start with something that I plan to crack open on an upcoming vacation to uh, meet up with some in-laws from the East Coast, seeing them for the first time in a couple years in Arizona at a nice resort. We'll be sitting poolside and uh, at the risk of just ruining my reputation with uh, a podcast that puts hops in the name, Natty Light is one that I'll kick it off with. <laughs> and that would be because my father-in-law, his favorite beer is Natty Light. And, you know, we could just pound a bunch of those together and we haven't had the chance to do so again in more than a couple years. And in that set setting, when you're poolside, you don't want anything too heavy to weigh you down. Um, just, you know, something to take off the edge a bit, but um, stay pretty light, as the name says. <laughs> so I'll say Natty Light, number one. Uh, you probably didn't see that coming. No. I'll go back into into a more expected lane for the remaining four. Um, let's see. Beyond Natty Light. I'll throw out Easy Jack, a really good session IPA by Firestone Walker. Um, that's one that did open my eyes on that surprise birthday trip to San Luis Obispo all those years ago. And that was also a favorite of the late, great David Malinsky. Um, as we record this, he passed away suddenly um, four years ago last week. And I was able to revisit some of my conversations with him on a podcast that we hosted throughout the 2017 NFL season. And he mentioned, you know, Super Sunday being one of the few days of the year that he would drink while he was watching games that he had bet on. And Easy Jack was that, you know, perfect companion for a game with some tickets in hand, figuring if it's going to be a three or four beer kind of setting, then Easy Jack's got an ABV similar to Natty Light. But of course, the flavor blows it out of the water. So that's a nice elevated experience while still staying in a pretty manageable ABV range. If we want to ratchet that up a little bit, let's say number three, uh, you talked about going to Pacific Beach, spending time in San Diego on the coast down there. Swami's IPA by Pizza Port, uh, probably one of the best IPAs when we talk not just quality, but bang for your buck. A lot of grocery stores, um, if anybody, I think even extending pretty widely beyond just Southern California, they'll have six packs of 16 ounce cans for like two bucks a can. And for something that good, that's a that's a really good deal for that style and that level of quality. You just rarely find it. And uh, I, I know that I have a soft spot for, you know, going back home and getting Swami's, you know, just right off the tank at Pizza Port in Solana Beach. It's just a setting that you can't really match anywhere. So whether you're able to get that in person at a Pizza Port location in the San Diego area or picking it up at a grocery store, again, for the accessibility, the price point and the overall quality, if you want a world-class West Coast IPA without breaking the bank, Swami's is probably going to be your ticket. And as we continue to work our way up here a little bit, I would say number four, my vote will be a beer called Saison DuPont. And this is really me wanting to give a nod to the Saison style. I feel like everybody now loves to talk about IPAs and stouts and sours, and there are a lot of really good lagers out there that are easy drinking. And I love all those styles as well. 
But the Saison, I just feel like it's underrated. It doesn't really have any signature flavor that jumps out of the can or the bottle, but it's really easy drinking and kind of like Easy Jack, it's, it's a manageable ABV and it's just really refreshing, but it has a lot more flavor than, you know, some of the macro lagers like the Natty Light that I mentioned to kick things off. So Saison DuPont by Brasserie DuPont, a classic brewery in Belgium, but it's fairly widely available. I've seen it all across the country and in my you know travels in recent years, especially traveling pre-pandemic. Um, and for, again, such a world-class take on a really good style. I mean, it's, it's from Belgium where the style originated. It's about as authentic as can be. Um, it's pretty accessible and quite affordable. So that's my, uh, I guess, my little love song to the Saison style. And to wrap it up, um, similar to Saison DuPont, maybe something for a bit of a special occasion, thinking maybe later in the evening, if we were, really want to ratchet things up a bit, I'll, I'll look toward a stout. And uh, maybe this is the San Diegan in me, but Speedway Stout by Ale Smith, uh, just one of the very best. Also one that's produced uh, at a pretty high level in terms of you know how much they make and where you can get it and, and the price point not being too prohibitive if you're in the mood for a stout. Um, I just think that that is such a classic take on the style. There are a lot of stouts out there now mm -hmm. that almost taste like candy bars. And those can be good. Again, I said earlier, there's a time and place for everything. But if you just want something that's so you know true to the stout style, um, and even if you don't love coffee like myself, I don't like anything that's too roasty, but um, I don't want anything that tastes like a candy bar, Speedway Stout kind of toes that line perfectly. So yeah, just rapid fire recap. Let's say the top five would be Natty Light of all things. Goodness, that's going <laughs> to age well for me. Uh, Natty Light, Easy Jack by Firestone, Swami's IPA by Pizza Port, Saison DuPont by Brasserie DuPont in Belgium, and Speedway Stout by Ale Smith. No, no, thank you for your honesty. And like I said, this is a go-to beer question right now. We don't have to talk about best of all time. I mean, I, I'd probably have to bring in Pliny's from Russian River or something yes. if, I, if I'm talking about Absolutely. some of the best beers. But I can't get that right now. It's too hard to get for me being here in Arizona land too. But I'm going to go with April beers kind of and it's it changes for me obviously uh thanksgiving time i'm more into the stouts and to uh the porters and things like that um the, you know the winter time has its own uh i guess genre for me but right now for the spring being in such a hot place i'm gonna go with summer shandy as one of them from line and kugels it is got that lemony juiciness it, it, it's just it's refreshing especially after just a hard day of working outside or it makes me think of back in the days when I used to go water skiing back in the lakes up in uh, upper Wisconsin, man. It's just it's just that taste that you get out of it. It feels like summer, tastes like summer, and it's almost summer here. So <laughs> it's getting hot, and I'm ready. ready it feels for, like it already. It, it does, man. And, and that's from Lining Kugels up in Chippewa Falls, Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And uh, number two, I'm going to go Spotted Cow. I'm going to stay with Wisconsin from New Glarus Brewing. And uh, you can't get Spotted Cow away from Wisconsin. Well, if, if you buy it, it's actually illegal away from wisconsin because they want to stay very tried and true to their niche but uh it's a delicious beer and you can get it at the airport in milwaukee and then you fly it down here as a matter of fact we just had a friend visit us and she brought me a case of spotted cow and i'm like wow would you like uh, the most comfortable bed in the house you know <laughs> what, what would you like you know type thing and uh i had a great time drinking that it's more of a wheat beer and i'm not too into wheat beers but this one there's, there's some about it when it's just so cold it, it, it's absolutely delicious and refreshing in its own way number three i am gonna go with the sour beer actually and it's a it's a brewery that's under some tough times 
called Modern Times, and I'm sure you know about that a little bit. Uh, I like their Sour Tropical Fruit Goes beer, and uh, I think it's delicious, and I think they do a great job with their Goes. And uh, I have some in my fridge right now. It just kind of feels like a little spring, like berry, sour type thing, just this time of year. Uh, very, very uh, thirsty for that. Uh, going to go with a Nipa for number four, a hazy beer. And I'm going to go with a white here in Arizona, Santan Brewery's Juicy Jack Haze. It's not the best Nipa in the world, but it's decent and it's good price. Kind of, you, you have to think about. You know, buying beer and, you know, you think about like dogfish head and all that, like super expensive stuff. This is actually a good affordable NEPA beer and it's it's worth every penny. And the ABV is not too bad. It's uh, it's around 6.5. So it's, uh, you know, not super high, not super low. I've seen a lot higher beers with hazy NEPAs. Uh, a little bit of a mosaic hop actually in that one. And number five, it is almost 420. You have to think about Lagunitas. And they have this beer called Waldo's. And this is the one that's absolutely going to kick you square in the ass when you drink it. It's got to be at least a triple IPA. I, I think it could even be quadruple. But it's it's very strong, maybe 11 12%. But it's that special time of year. And uh, it, it, it's a good night beer for sure. You probably shouldn't drink more than one or two of them. <laughs> if you're if you want to see straight but it's uh it's delicious and uh, if you want to get crazy into hops you might not want to drink that for your first beer you might want to almost ease into that but i don't know if you've had wall if you had wallows matt but uh it's uh i'm in some beer groups and it's one of their go-to's i'll have to put that on my radar i'm not familiar with it yet but as you were describing it i couldn't resist looking it up on untapped and seeing 11.7 percent abv <laughs> So that, I guess they call it a triple. I think loosely defined, if it were, you know, 12% or greater, they'd probably call that a quadruple IPA. So that's really getting up there. Um, but yeah, maybe kind of, it's almost like a stout in the sense that that might be one that you end your night with to your point of not starting there. But yeah, for starters, one that you mentioned earlier, Spotted Cow. I've just got to say that I had the honor of trying it for the first time at Bet Bash a couple of weeks ago during the national title game at Circa Sportsbook. My good friend, Mike Roselli, hosts a podcast called The Doggy Juice Pod, and he's from the Chicago area, so he brought some spotted cow to Vegas with him. Uh, kind of at my request, I, I don't think I tried too hard to convince him, but he probably <laughs> read between the lines and totally delivered, and that was a fantastic experience. Um, I think they call that also like a bit of a, a farmhouse beer, so that that's probably also a very approachable take on something like Cezanne Dupont that I mentioned as well. So I, I think we're seeing eye to eye when it comes to you know, the hops or, you know, you mentioned a good sour beer as well. So uh, happy to take any and all of what you just mentioned as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's no Natty Light because I remember nat Natural Ice. It was it was Natty Ice we used to get in college, half barrels, because they were like, what, 20 bucks a half barrel, the cheapest shit you can possibly get for a keg stand. And uh, that's where I got the Natty from when you mentioned that. So you completely blew me out of left field here with that one but i understand it because if you're like playing golf all day or if you're at a baseball game you don't go for the heavier ipas you go for something light and it and it makes sense and, it, and it's got some nostalgia to it for you so that um completely makes sense and hits home for me so thank you for sharing that with me i wrote them all down too i'm i, I am going to try that swami's uh at, from the pizza port when i get to uh next time i get to pb so We'll be checking that. Awesome. And just to make sure you've got it down right, it's uh, Natty Light, N-A-T-T-Y. 
L-Y-G-H-T. Really hard to find, but but uh, I can, I think, maybe help you if you get in a tough spot struggling to track down any Natty Light anytime. In the future. <laughs> I'm sure you can help us all out for that one, my man. Well, let's get into a little bit of your history in the sports betting. Um, and w- when did you start liking the aspect of sports betting or sports investing, whatever you, you like to call it, or at least why don't you go right into the media aspect of it as well? Sure. So I, as long as I can remember, have been a big sports fan. Grew up in Southern California, had plenty of local teams. But it was early on in my career, a few years after college, I distinctly recall a friend and coworker coming into the office one Monday morning with the biggest grin on his face. And, you know, it's, it's Monday morning and, and the job was fine, but people usually weren't thrilled at that time of the week. So I asked him what was up and he said he hit a big parlay in college football that past Saturday. And to me, it, it felt like he might have thought he was the smartest guy in the world at that point. And, you know, maybe a bit ego as much as humility is really a key in this thing long term. But a bit of ego to get me going just figured as a sports fan at the time, hey, I, I think I know at least as much as this guy. Let me give this a shot. And I opened up my first account for $50 at, at an offshore that he hooked me up with and made a $10 bet, which felt like a big bet at the time. <laughs> um, but I think one of my... Um, bigger strengths was the ability to remain objective. And that first $10 bet was against my alma mater, USC. They hosted Arizona. I believe this would have been 2011. And uh, USC won the game. Arizona covered the spread. And and I was just on cloud nine for winning, you know, such a small bet. But I felt like I was off and running at that point. And I think back to that stage of my life and also, you know, driving to the office. I remember every Friday hearing Colin Coward do his Blazing Five. And he would bring on RJ Bill from pregame.com. A lot of people have probably, you know, had that experience listening to that uh, back in the day. And really the the best thing that came of that for me was that after listening to enough of those segments, I think there was one time where I was new to betting and Colin got really hot. So just kind of survivorship bias on my part to, to stay in the game and build up some bankroll. But really after hearing pregame.com enough, I'm like, okay, what's this thing? Let me go check it out. And one thing really stood out to me when I did that. There was this column called Point Blank by David Malinsky. I've already mentioned him, uh, just one of the best people I've ever known. And I was blown away by how intelligently he could break down a game, but how fun he could make it weaving in really good food and music and just, you know, lifestyle components that seemingly had nothing to do with sports, but really tying the whole picture together in addition to being a really sharp mind. And at Point Blank, I think I really started to realize as I read that and started to get involved in the forum, you know, the difference between knowing sports and betting on sports. A lot of people know sports really well and will never beat it in betting. And a lot of people who are really good at betting might not know the first thing about certain teams. You know, I, I've heard the story that Spanky was told Andrew Luck retired and he didn't know who that was when it just, you know, really broke the whole news cycle right before that football season a few years back. So really starting to hone in on that delineation between knowing sports and betting on sports and getting to know Dave over the years really fueled my journey along those lines. And it led to some media opportunities to get things rolling for reasons I might never fully understand. In the summer of 2017, David Malinsky reached out to me about doing a podcast together. Um, I, I said yes right away. I was part thrilled because he was somebody I had respected for years and part terrified because I had no idea how to make a podcast and it was too good of an opportunity to mess up. So I really had to elevate my game. 
uh, but we did it together for the 2017 NFL season, a podcast called House of Yards. And from there, after Dave's sudden untimely passing, I was able to keep in touch with a lot of his followers from the Point Blank community, which uh, at that time had gone to sportsbookreview.com. So with that SBR community, stayed plugged in for a few years. And then it's kind of a passion project during the early days of the pandemic, or I guess, you know, a few months in before the 2020 NFL season, I started Props and Hops, kind of thinking, okay, House of Yards was the original betting and beer podcast that I knew and got to be involved in. Props and Hops was kind of carrying that along in my own way. And that's been a joy to do for a couple of seasons now. And that helped open doors with the Bet US NFL show that I was so fortunate to do, uh, primarily for getting to know guys like Las Vegas Chris and Scott Kellen. They've just been a dream to work with and to get to know. And even opening doors to go on VEASAN a couple of times and you know meet the crew there. And I got to meet them in person at Bet Bash a couple of weeks ago as well. So it kind of all started, my, my journey in betting led me to Discover Point Blank, which led to getting to know Dave, which led to the media opportunity. So none of it has been really planned very much, but it, it's just kind of led me down, you know, a, a really fun path. And I, I try to keep an open mind and, you know, and work hard and build good relationships and, and just really say yes to any opportunity that might come my way. And so far that's been extremely rewarding. Well, Dave certainly saw something in you and uh, you continue to prove it with such great content and great delivery on your podcast. I just listened to it last week and you you had a great tribute to him and it was a very enjoyable listening to you guys talk a few years back about, uh, you know, some of the old lines that we had on USC and a couple couple of uh, things about the chargers your favorite team so really 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 <laughs> cool to see that you know so getting into the props and hops you kind of answered that question you know the, you, you kind of del- started that after dave's passing was that in 2017 as well and uh uh or, wh- or what year did you get going with that and um what's it how what's it about is it just about props or is it tell the audience is it about kind of everything Sure. It's about everything. I mean, props and hops, I, I probably wrote down a hundred names and toyed with different ideas. It just seemed like it had a good ring to it, nice and succinct, but it's, you know, all things betting and beer. I'm trying to pursue the best in betting and beer, but um, certainly betting much more than props and, and the beer can be the nicest craft beer to something like an Addy Light. So the full spectrum is welcome. And yeah, I started it in 2020 during the pandemic for the first few years after Dave's passing. Um, I I kept in touch doing um, some writing on uh, SBR to, you know, keep in touch with his community. But the podcast idea followed a few years later. Part of it, I don't know, I could probably talk to a therapist about it. Maybe I didn't want to do a podcast right away because it would hit too close to home after having worked with Dave and then trying to, you know, even even something like taking out the same microphone that I recorded with Dave. I'm speaking into it right now. Just like that, that didn't come out of the closet for a little while, but still got to keep in touch with some people through writing then got the itch to get back into podcasting. So it's been a couple NFL seasons now. And I think the the concept really for, you know, being a one-man band more or less behind Props and Hops, whereas I was working with Dave on our previous podcast, House of Yards, when it comes to Props and Hops, I know that I'm not necessarily the best better or the best content creator, but I like to think I have something to offer in both of those areas. And I think what I do best is identifying the signal from the noise And most of what we hear out there is probably noise. So you can probably dismiss 95% plus of what you hear, but really looking to dig into that small portion of things that really resonated and from there highlight the best of the best. So I think with props and hops looking to 
you know, kind of bring curation to the table is my form of creation is how I like to look at it. Oh, absolutely, man. And I love it. It's great. It's a great concept. And uh, two of some of my favorite things, sports betting and beer. So uh, congratulations on that. And I, and I know it's going really well. And obviously, Chris chiming in. Thank you, Chris. Uh, uh, you know, complimenting you on how nice you are. And uh, he's also a big fan of yours yourself. So let's move on. Yeah, to- it's mutual. Absolutely. Let's move on to some uh, some NFL stuff then, my man, because the NFL never dies, does it, Matt? And uh, it's I guess all the tweets and all the uh, you see that from you know guys like Adam Schefter, and it's just I I still have it on notification. I used to shut it off, but I still have it on notification because too much sports betting content coming out. Right, I mean, these lines are moving for the draft. There's more and more props coming out for the NFL draft, and that's what we're going to talk about a little bit here. And uh, was I, I guess for starters, what are your thoughts on this draft class in general? Yeah, when I think about this class, and maybe it's because I'll be going to a baseball game tonight, so I'm mixing my sports a bit, but I think of a parallel to you know a Major League Baseball pitcher who gets stronger as the game goes on. This draft feels a lot deeper than it is top-heavy. So that's just the big takeaway. It's probably a less-than-ideal year for the Jags to be picking one overall, the Panthers to be you know at sixth with nothing after that pick for a long time, or the Jets and Giants both having multiple picks early on. Maybe not the worst year as a Chargers fan for my team to be picking, you know, almost smack in the middle of the first round at 17. Beyond an overall thought on the class, I just think one position group that's been talked about a lot. I've got a funny feeling about this quarterback class. It's a really hard position to evaluate, and I know that nobody jumps out this year. But I, I think one or two of these guys are, are going to be a lot better than we think. Don't ask me who, but I just feel like it's so easy to write this off as a class that is going to be very forgettable. You know, what was the class years ago with? Uh, what was it, Ponder and Gabbert and Locker, and and it was just bust after bust. I I don't know. I think that would almost be too simplistic. Usually we're surprised. I mean, thinking back just to a couple years ago, I was watching the draft when the Dolphins picked Tua right before the Chargers picked Justin Herbert, and I was a little bummed at the time. And I had friends texting me apologizing for the fact that the Chargers got saddled with Herbert. (laughs) And I remember thinking, like, yeah, I I know Tua had the better, you know, projections at the time, but we don't know. And and this stuff can humble you in a hurry because fast forward a couple years and let's see how that aged. So uh, this class, if nothing else, it reminds me that embedding, you know, whether it's the drafter or any bet type in any sport requires a healthy degree of what I think of as humble confidence. I mean, if you're going to lay the vig and go head to head with sports books and the rest of the marketplace, you've got to have a degree of confidence. But at the same time, if you get too confident, you'll be humbled in a hurry. So trying just to keep that balance of humility with the right dose of confidence to really try to thread that needle in the long run. Manager highs and manager lows, my man. That's how it is because it's tough. It's a tough thing. And the best of the best, 56, 58% is what I always say. If they're in the, And that is the top of the line as well. So absolutely. You got you to gotta be prepared for the next day. Great bankroll management. And keep the same philosophies for the draft itself. There is some weak lines in this draft i think but that doesn't mean it's going to happen because we don't know what these gms are going to do you know i could say what this team needs and what this team needs but that doesn't mean that they think that and that's uh how i've gotten burned in the past here but uh you know it's it's definitely fun to look at and uh having multiple small plays i think is where it's at and i I also agree with you Uh, i am 
We don't know what this quarterback class really is going to be. Maybe these kids take a massive step forward. Maybe they're way better than you think, you know, because uh, all you can see is them play against their competition. It's a lot about situation. You know, if uh, their quarterback gets into a team that is ready to win with a new coach that's much better than the last one, well, then he's in a good situation. So I'm really excited to see what happens in the future. But let's get into the position totals a little bit have you got a chance to kind of look at the totals on the quarterbacks running backs wide receivers for example i can pull up uh DraftKings here just so we can kind of be consistent and i'll just give you a few numbers and there's going to be some juice on these numbers of course uh quarterbacks will start um, over two and a half is like minus 250 um it, do you think like three is the correct number because it, it's trying to tell you uh over two and a half but probably under three and a half i would think yeah, I mean, my initial reaction is if they were to have this first round draft 10 times in you know some alternate universe, then we probably see exactly three quarterbacks go about seven times. So I know some books are at three and a half, would think under, some books two and a half, you look to the over. Again, the price is the you know big determining factor in all this. And I think with most position groups, the lines are probably about right at this point. But one thing you touched on that I think would be a recurring theme for my draft approach would be you know the notion of value versus VIG. A lot of people think, oh, if a bet has value, that means it has a big plus number attached to it. And I think with the draft, there are times, especially with some more recreational books that know that you know rec bettors aren't gonna lay a big price, they almost you know can't set the VIG high enough for certain types of bets. So for those with the intestinal fortitude, I think oftentimes the best value we'll find all year in the NFL is some pretty heavily juiced bets in the draft. And minus 250 isn't even getting that heavy, you know, relative to some other stuff I think about. But I would have to lean over uh, two and a half quarterbacks at that price point. I haven't bet that yet. Um, I, I probably, you know, gun to my head, I, I, I definitely would look to the over. I think we can bank on Pickett and Willis going in the first round. It sounds like Ritter's probably, you know, a, a good chance to go there as well. And then there's, you know, Matt Corral and Sam Howell have been getting some noise recently. And... Uh, again, we can talk about this class and how do any of these guys project to be all that good? Why would teams waste valuable draft picks on them? Well, this is so much less about what we think teams should do and trying to develop a better understanding of what they will do. And ultimately, for a lot of GMs who could be on the hot seat, same with head coaches, a good quarterback on a team-friendly deal really holds the keys to the kingdom. I mean, look at the Chiefs under Mahomes, what the Bills are doing with Allen what the Chargers might one day do with Justin Herbert if they can get their act together in these next couple of years. Um, I think Ron on your show, I believe it was last week, brought up a good point about probability and just trying to think about this probabilistically with that quarterback number. Um, you know, if we're looking at minus 250, that equates to a 71.4% break-even percentage. I would say it's probably more in the 75 to 80% likelihood range that we see at least three quarterbacks go. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I probably make the fair price closer to 300. I know this is juicy, but could only look to the over two and a half at minus 250. I agree with you. And it, it's, if you want to lay it, these GMs are going to fall in love with the quarterback. And then you got Detroit. They're going to be kind of at pick 32, right? Maybe there's two, two quarterbacks gone and they're going to think to themselves, well, what if, what if we wait to 34 and somebody grabs the Jaguars at 33 and then they're going to panic and possibly pick that third quarterback or fourth even, of course, at uh, pick 32. So I agree with you. It's a big fat price. I'm not quite sure if I'm ready to lay it, but I think next week, right before the draft, we're going to have a little bit more information on some of that. 
the real intriguing thing is the tight ends being under at minus 700, under 0.5, meaning zero tight ends for the first round at minus 700. And the over is about plus 500, plus 475, as we see here on DraftKings. You know, the only thing I can say is uh, they're trying to sucker people in right now to bet this tight end thing. And I don't see a lot, I don't see a big difference between. I guess what's rated in a lot of draft boards is the first tight end and the third tight end. So I think people are going to wait. Yeah. And I, I don't think I've seen a tight end mocked in the first round anywhere. Uh, certainly not among the guys that follow most closely. And again, the final mocks will be the most informative. So to your point, we'll have more information next week. But right now, if I, I think about that price, again, thinking as a recurring theme, VIG versus value, I mean, laying seven to one might seem like it's impossible to have value just at that price point. But I would bet that that seven to one on no tight end in the first round has more value than something like, you know, a plus 2000 getting a 20 to one payout on Sam Howell to go in the top 10. I've seen that this weekend. You know, it should probably be closer to 200 to one. So just because you're laying a big price doesn't mean you're not possibly getting value. That said, at this point, kind of like quarterbacks, uh, you know, I'd say even a softer lean than the quarterback position for me. Uh, if anything, I would bet them no. But uh, if I'm tying up that kind of big seven to one, I'd rather lay it much closer to the draft and make it maybe a, a short term loan with a nice interest rate coming my way in return. It could lose. But just thinking again, probabilistically here, break even percentage on minus 700 is 87 and a half percent. You know, if I if I decide to make that bet, going to be a lot closer to the draft and maybe look at it as a one day loan with a 12.5 percent return on the interest. That's a great way to look at it. Fantastic point there, because you're right. They look big, but they might not even be close to bit uh, big enough. And a lot of my friends that bet uh, the politics, you know, bet elections do this all the time and they make a killing. Uh, you know, New York <laughs> Democrat, duh. you know, you can't make that number big enough. And uh, that's how they win money by doing that. And they do the same thing with other states you know it, it just makes total sense to me and it, it, look at it from a probability standpoint and then figure out your number is what i always try to tell everybody matt did you make any plays on i i guess the position totals is a question or or that you'd be that you'd feel okay for giving out on this show sure so there's one that i have played uh, again the the numbers move so i don't want to make it all about trying to you know show off a number that nobody can get now i do still consider it bettable and that's if we look at safeties over one and a half uh first i know i i said i lean toward quarterbacks over two and a half the tight ends probably won't go but that's a pretty inconsequential number um as i catch myself saying you know over for another position group here in addition to quarterbacks there's only so many spots to go in the first round so a lot of bettors just look toward overs for everything. It's kind of the equivalent of betting favorites and overs in totals with regular season games. So I want to be mindful of the fact that there are 32 spots to go in the first round. So if you go over on every position, you're going to run out of slots at a certain point. But I think there's room for two, if not three safeties in this first round. A big thing to make sure you're reading the fine print on if you invest in this is the classification of a guy like Dax Hill out of Michigan. I checked the NFL.com draft profile has him pegged as a safety. So most books should follow suit, but a lot of people are projecting him, you know, playing a, a cornerback role in the league. So just knowing how that's going to be graded, I think that's key for any bets, but especially something like this, because um, in all likelihood, I think we're going to see Kyle Hamilton and Dax Hill go in the first round and maybe Lewis Seen. But if I look at this again, from a probabilistic standpoint, uh, a bit of math coming up here, but I hope this helps 
you know, drive the framework for what I've used to succeed over the years. And I, I think a lot of winning betters think along these lines as well. Uh, in the framework of this bet, um, I've seen Hill as minus 150 to go in the first round. And that equates to a break-even percentage of 60% that he does go. But that was a one-way line. And when you can't bet the no, you know the book's probably hiding a lot of VIG. So the true probability, probably closer to 55% that Dax Hill gets picked in the first round. Uh, a guy like Lewisine, I've seen him, same book, even money to go. That equates to 50%, but again, a one-way line. So accounting for the VIG, probably more like 45% chance that he goes in the first round. So if we keep that in mind and we just assume that Hamilton's going... Um, again, Hamilton probably not going to go in the top 10 anymore, but I don't think anybody is expecting him to, you know, possibly fall out of the first round for this prop to lose. Assuming we get Hamilton, then that has to mean that Dax Hill and Lewisine both don't go in the first round, uh, based on the earlier percentages I talked about, just multiplying 45% that Hill doesn't go times 55% that Seen doesn't go. That just gives us a one in four probability, 25%, that both of those guys don't get selected in the first round. Uh, just using some basic math, one minus 25% means 75% that at least one of them goes when we talk Hill and Scene. Minus 300. Along with Hamilton, that gets us over one and a half. 75% odds equates to a line of minus 300, like you just said. I'm seeing consensus right now of about minus 260. So there's a little bit of wiggle room there. Um, certainly like the number when it was lower, but I still think this has room to go up. I only think it will go up, especially if more places confirm that Dax Hill is classified as a safety. So I would say I'd make it good up to minus 275. Again, that's a big price to lay at face value. But considering that value versus big dynamic, I think it's one of the better options on the board right now. I think it's I think it's fantastic. And I absolutely love how you broke down the numbers for our listeners. That's what I love to do. I love to preach going by the numbers, making educated decisions. Fantastic, Matt. And just to piggyback on that, I'm going to go with Dax Hill under 29.5. I think he is selected under that. Almost every mock draft I've seen has at least two safeties, some three going in the first round. And I think Dax Hill goes under that because he can also play cornerback. I think a lot of teams want that flexibility, especially with a great athlete like Daxton Hill. And so I laid minus 125 on this. And I think it's just going to go up, Matt. Yeah, and that's that's a good proxy for safeties over one and a half because you're not laying as much big. I mean, yes, there's a chance that Hill goes at 30, 31, or 32. But for the trade-off with how much less big you're laying at that number, you know, you can pretty much bank on Hamilton going. There's multiple ways it's going to cap. So I like that game plan as well. All right. Well, wonderful. I have time to give out one more play, and I'm going to see what you think on it. I'm going to give out the Buffalo Bills first pick position group is a defensive back. The only other one that bugs me a little bit is could they go with a running back? I just don't think that there is a breakout running back. And I think about what Buffalo had last year. They drafted a bunch of defensive ends tight. They got their quarterback. They've got some fantastic receivers. They got their tight ends. We don't see a tight end coming in the first group. I, I just do not see how they do not go defensive back when that was their number one need. And I'm getting a plus 175 here, Matt. Uh, I think this is a fantastic play, and I think this is only going to go down as well. Yeah, well, again, depending on a guy like Dax Hill getting classified as a safety or a defensive back, that might be your ticket for Buffalo, or there's any number of guys they could go with as well. I think the logic checks out. 
when I look at non-binary outcomes on the betting board, I always have some pause because I know that for each additional option, other than a, a yes, no, or an over under, every option beyond, you know, just those standard two usually bakes in a lot more big for the book. And I got burned a couple years ago. I think the first time I did this in the draft, I bet the first running back would be DeAndre Swift. And that was the 2020 draft when the Chiefs snagged CEH at the end of the first round. Mm -hmm, uh, and yeah. I, I just felt like such a fool, even though in sample size of one, it doesn't mean that that was a bad bet in this case, but it reinforced that notion to me of bets with non-binary outcomes usually come with more big. Um, but at the same time, so much of this can be about getting good information and the logic you laid out makes a lot of sense. Also shopping for the best number, you know, there's no Don best screen for this stuff. So a lot of books might have rogue lines where you can really extract a lot of value. Um, so I haven't even given that one enough consideration yet to have a very strong opinion. Uh, fundamentally, I'm, I'm always wary of non-binary bets, but when, you know, when there's good information and a good line to be found, then I think it can behoove any better to keep a very open mind. Yes. Thank you. And I do get nervous for non-binary bets as well. It's a great point, but I also saw how they got Von Miller as an edge rusher, obviously for six years and $120 million. And they signed two, uh, two defensive tackles, I believe Daquan Jones, Tim Settle, uh, to replace uh, Harrison Phillips at left. So they, it almost covers those bases for me. It makes me just really feel that this could be a, a, a good plus money winner here. So uh, I I'm feeling good about that. We'll see if what, what happens, Matt. Do you have any other plays you'd like to share with our listeners? One that I found today that uh, is, is available at the moment would be for a shopper looking at Chris Olave under 17 and a half, but it comes down to shopping for the best number. At one of the sharper offshores, I saw that at minus 150 and the break-even probability for that bet, the Novig line was minus 130. So the break-even probability, I believe, was 56.5%. I saw another offshore, same exact bet, Olavi under 17.5, minus 110. That's a 52.4% break-even probability. That might not sound like a big edge, just a few percentage points in the low to mid-50s. But that's a bigger edge than we're probably going to find on just about any point spread all season long, unless somebody has news of a quarterback or key player being out and there's a big line movement due to injury news. Uh, but over the course of most weeks, edges like that just don't exist, looking at a market as efficient as full game spreads and totals. So just doing some shopping, um, if you can find that Olave, you know, minus 110, or I'd say even minus 120 would be a, a good ceiling for that bet, then something like that works out. I know a lot of people don't have access to that. So what I would suggest is just over this next week and change shopping for the best number where you can and really trying to be diligent about reading and listening for the right information, especially medical red flags. Um, I know that last year there was a guy like Aziz Ojolari. Some whispers came out about his medicals and his over under was steamed upward. So the market was fading him settled around 21 and a half. He fell out of the first round altogether. So this year, there are guys like Andrew Booth Jr., a cornerback from Clemson, who had multiple injuries, missed most of the pre-draft workout process coming off of sports hernia surgery. That's pretty well known at this stage, but his slot right now is 26 and a half with a, a pretty evenly split big on the over under 26 and a half. Also a guy like Nicobe Dean, a linebacker out of Georgia, starting to hear some whispers about his medicals. Right now, he's at 28 and a half. So I would think, if anything, maybe looking over his way. Um, so beyond any individual picks right now, just that kind of thought process, things to look out for, shopping for the best lines, looking out especially for any medical red flags lately. Uh, if you hear something early, probably going to be a good bet to you know take that player to go over his projected draft slot. 
things like that, I think are really going to inform this final, you know, week and a half of the lead up to the draft. Yeah, that's such a great point here. And Olave, I just don't see him getting past Philadelphia here at 15. I mean, there's Philly, there's Houston that needs to find out what Mills is worth, right? There's just a lot of uh, teams after the the Wilson and possibly the, the uh, London pick that you know you're thinking that maybe the Jets might make Drake London if it's Olavi there so be it right anything under 17 and a half absolutely love it my man well we're out of time thanks so much for coming on the show Matt you shared some great information and some great ways that we should be looking at this draft where could our listeners and viewers get your great information and uh, follow your shows yeah, thanks for having me on once again. I think the best one-stop shop would be on Twitter at mlandis18. Uh, that's M-L-A-N-D-E-S-1-8. And then Props and Hops, the podcast that I drop weekly wherever you get your podcasts. And I look forward to having you on shortly as well. Oh, absolutely. Can't wait for that. So make sure you guys follow Matt at mlandis18 on Twitter. Now it's time for a little UFC Vegas 52 kind of a small card this weekend the main event is jessica andrage versus amanda lamos and this card i'm probably gonna have a few plays in but i gotta tell you though two fights i want to talk about is the two women fights uh the main event amanda lamos versus jessica andrage andrage is 22 and 9 Five one, uh, great striker. Six point two four significant strikes per minute. Decent at takedowns, but when she steps up against bigger competition, she gets beat. Now Amanda Lamos, three inches taller, five four, three inch reach advantage, sixty five inches. Pretty good significant strikes at five point three five. Okay takedowns at one point thirty one. Now, the reason Andrade is the favorite is because she just beat Cynthia Cavillo and knocked her out in the first round, the end of the first round. Then before that, she lost to Valentino Shevchenko, who doesn't lose to Shevchenko, right? She got knocked out in the second round. Then she beat Caitlin Chukagan, decent fighter. But then she lost to Rose Namajunas, great fighter. Obviously, Rose the champ. At the, at the weight class. And then she lost to Zhang, which is, she's almost as good as Rose. I think, you know, her and Rose are probably the champs. Then before that, she beat Rose Namajunas. So th- that's the reason she's a favorite. But I, I mean, just looking at this fight, Amanda Lemos is not bad at all. And the reason that she's got such a big, I guess matchup here is she's on a tear. Uh, she has five UFC wins in a row. And Angela Hill was her last win in a split decision. Um, Maserat Ruiz is the one before that. First round knockout. Sousa, Lavina Sousa, that was a first round knockout. Then she went the distance with a couple other fighters. You know, I think this fight is a lot closer than the numbers say. I, I think that Lemos is probably have a, has a little value here, to be honest with you, the way she's been her last few fights. But at the same time, Andrade does have 
the striking advantage, and she does have the takedown advantage, but she's a smaller fighter. I think I'm going to go two ways on this, and I haven't completely decided. Now, even though the their last matches, lots of first-round KOs here, just a couple decisions sprinkled in, the price is pretty good on these two fighters going to decision. And whenever you have a straw weight class like this at, minus, at 115 pounds, women usually go to decision. The fact that it's a five-round fight goes uh, goes to decision is at the plus 150, plus 160 range. So rather than necessarily picking a side, I just decided... I'm just going to probably bet this either over two and a half at the minus 140, or I'm going to take the decision at the plus 160, 170, whatever I can get it here. I'm just looking at bestfightodds.com over two and a half minus 150. And fight goes to the decision plus 162, plus 160, plus 145. Probably going to look for the best price I can on that. So. Not completely sure. I'll probably tweet out my play when I decide. Let's move on to the next female fight, though. And I think that there is an actual discrepancy here. Macy Barber at 9-2 and two is the favorite, right? And looking at some of the stats, the reason that Macy Barber is the favorite is that she strikes better. She has 4.67 significant strikes per minute to Montana De La Rosa at 2.87. Their accuracy is about the same. But De La Rosa, 2.29, or sorry, 2.25 takedowns to 1.36 takedowns for Macy per 15 minutes. So Montana De La Rosa is the better grappler, I think. Now, Macy has submitted two submissions, five KOs, two decisions, for her nine wins, her both her losses were by decision. But Montana De La Rosa, one KO, eight submissions, three decisions. She's going to go to the mat here. And the fact that she's good on the mat really makes me think that she has a shot here. We just saw Bueno Silva beat Wu. Now, obviously, I thought Wu was a lot closer, and that fight should have been at least a draw for Wu. Bueno Silva stepped up in weight to fight Wu. But um, that fight that she had versus Montana De La Rosa, Montana De La Rosa did very well against her. And then she, Montana De La Rosa fought Ariane Lipinski. Lipinski, not a bad fighter. Real good-looking chick, actually. You should check her out. She's got a lot of videos. But at the same time, she Lipinski's a decent fighter, and she got handled in the second round. Montana De La Rosa beat her punching. That was when she got her KO. So it's like De La Rosa is getting better. I'm just not buying Macy Barber that much. I'm not because when Macy stepped up in class a little bit against Roxanne Modafferi, or Modafferi, sorry, I always say her last name wrong, and Alexa Grasso, she lost those two. And then she beat Miranda Maverick, who is pretty much a punching bag in a split decision. You know, the fact that that was so close, and I'm not a big Maverick fan, I don't think Maverick's all that great, uh, you know, tells me that there's value on the other fighter. 
you can get a really good price on Montana De La Rosa plus 160. So I'm going to take Montana De La Rosa at plus 160 for one unit because of the ground game. I think she has a very good chance to take out Macy Barber. Ridiculously good looking. All right, my friends. That's all we have for our show today. A huge thanks to Matt Landis and Andy Molitor for coming on and talking the draft. We will be talking the draft more possibly this weekend as well as next week's podcast. We have a special new guest as well that I'm not going to reveal yet, but he's a well-known person, let's say, in the history of radio in the Chicagoland area. If you have any questions, please feel free to tweet us at The Odds Breakers. Have a great rest of your week, and go get some 